0: A paradox are two things that don't quite fit well together in your mind. Jumbo shrimp. It's a paradox. Is it jumbo or is it shrimp? somehow both. The world's full of paradoxes, things that are put together that they don't make sense, but somehow they do. I, I used to teach counselors, and I would tell them, you won't be a good counselor until you don't need to be a good counselor. That was a paradox. Because as long as they were worrying about being a good counselor, they were thinking about themselves instead of the person that was in the room. It's a paradox. The world's full of paradoxes. The more you try to impress somebody, the less impressive you'll be because no one is impressed by someone who tries too hard. Paradox. The Bible's full of paradoxes. The paradox of that my strength is found my, my, in, in my weakness is his strength revealed. The rich, uh, the, the first will be last, the last will be first. Those are paradoxes, they're things that don't seem to fit well together. The meek shall inherit the, wor- the earth. The poor are somehow rich in blessings. Paradoxes make you live in a tension. tension cognitively, but some paradoxes make you live in a tension emotionally and spiritually. Well, Good Friday is a little bit of a paradox. Is it good? I mean, we've, we've stood here in black. We've sung songs. We've, we've listened to scripture of sorrow. We, we heard the story of an innocent of God in his innocence being mocked and murdered. And we call it good Friday. It's a paradigm. It's amazing. The Christian life will invite you to live in tension. A paradox requires you to live in tension of both things being true. The already but not yet. I'm declared righteous because of the blood and the work of Christ and because of what we celebrate this very week. And am I righteous? No, I will be working on my righteousness in one sense the rest of my life. That's a paradox. Both are true. Good. Horrific Friday. Good. Hopeful. Miserable Friday. I'm going to invite you to think with me about the cross about what took place that day 2,000 years ago that literally changes everything. And I want you to think about the paradoxes of the cross. The the irony, the way it just doesn't make sense and yet it makes all the sense in the world. First, I'd want you to notice that the one who is falsely accused, the one who is falsely accused asks for forgiveness for his accusers and not justice for them. That's a paradox. As as the innocent Jesus is nailed to a cross, he says, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Paradox. The just and holy God, the the one who deserved no punishment, asks for forgiveness for the ones that are doing injustice. That's a paradox. Forgiveness is not possible. unless that day took place. And so, as horrible and horrific as it is that God himself is being nailed to a tree, it's good. For it is your only hope for forgiveness. Another paradox to notice on the cross is the innocent is treated like a criminal. Jesus is hung between two common thieves, one mocking and one believing. Sounds kind of like our world today, doesn't it? So the truth of God, the truth of who he is, is, is coming, should be becoming more and more known. It seems like it's some are mocking, <coughs> few are believing. And Jesus... Jesus is being treated like a criminal. That's a paradox. That's, not, that's irony. That, how could that be? How could that be good? Well, it's good. Because you and I are represented in this story by those criminals on the cross. You and I are represented as, as hopeless creatures that deserve deserve the punishment. <laughs> and if it wasn't for the irony of the cross that day, that the innocent one was treated as a criminal, then you would be left as a criminal with no hope. So I guess what was horrific is, is good. also, Not only notice that the falsely accused asks forgiveness, the innocent's treated like a criminal. notice that Jesus and I'll let, I'll let soul I'll, I'll let Seth unpack this theologically for you someday, because it's beyond my brain capacity. but Jesus, who is part of the Holy Trinity. Jesus who knew intimacy. Jesus who was eternally one and eternally three. The three in one, the triune God. Jesus, relational Jesus, felt abandonment. Up until that moment in history, The Godhead had never experienced that. That Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, part of the Godhead, part of the triune God, why have you forsaken me, feels abandoned. The irony of that. The example of intimacy, the example of connection, the example of relationship, the very essence you're created as a relational being because you're created in the image of a relational God is abandoned. How could that be good? Well, that tells me that the God who is working out the redemption of creation... Is a God who understands your abandonment and understands your sorrow and understands your struggle and understands your fears because he is a God who in the midst of saving us tasted suffering and abandonment and betrayal and loss, hatred, mockery, Could that be good? Except it's good for you. Because from this, from that moment forward till eternity to glory, from that moment forward, you know you have been pursued and chosen by a suffering God who understands betrayal and suffering and struggle and abandonment and sorrow and your experience in a fallen world. The irony, the paradox. Not only do I want you to note the paradox of the falsely accused asks for forgiveness for his accusers instead of justice, that the innocent is treated like a criminal and that the the one who has defined connection and relationship feels abandoned. Note that the one who described himself as living water said, I'm thirsty. How can living water, how can the one that quenches our thirst, the one who, who promises us life and hope, how can he be thirsty? That's a paradox. It's a paradox. He knows distress. He knows your distress. Somehow, theologically in a way that is much more than physical, much more than temporal. That moment on the cross, Jesus, all the sin, all the selfishness, all of my sin, all of the sin of every one of his children is somehow placed on him. Placed on on his back. No wonder he's thirsty. No wonder he feels abandoned. That's a lot of sin to carry. Oh, that's horrible. No, that's good. Because the sin that I can't, Wash off gets washed off. Also, note the paradox the one who owed nothing pays a debt. His last words, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, It is finished. He finished his task. He paid the debt, he paid the price. It's done. The mortgage is paid. Paid the price. Jesus. All the sin was placed on him. Paid for. It's finished. Good Friday. Good. Because dirty, shameful, has been ripped with a curtain. See, the Jesus that felt abandoned on the cross as he's dying, God rips the curtain. And what that means is you see that in scripture. He rips the curtain that that separates God from that only the high priest could go past and separates man from God. And and he rips that curtain and says, though I experience abandonment, I open the, the door for you to be connected to God paradox. Two things that typically don't go together drip through the story. Well, I just want to say two more things. The disciples didn't have the luxury of knowing what happens on Sunday. And so they were invited on this day And only one disciple showed up at the cross. They had to live in the tension of God not being what they'd hoped he'd be. Palm Sunday, the celebration, the king is coming. He's gonna set us free. He's gonna set us free. We've been under the oppression of Rome for 500 years. Hosanna! Hosanna! victory. (laughs) He's dead. He's dead. Yeah, Jesus gave them the foreshadowing, but they didn't understand. So now the disciples are invited to live in the tension that God wasn't what they thought he would be. God didn't do it the way they thought he would. And so the next Friday evening, they're distraught. They'd given up everything. They'd been, and, and now the one they'd given up everything is dead. All their plans, all their dreams. Remember they were arguing about who was going to be first? I guess it doesn't matter anymore. Who won't get caught by the authorities? Who's not going to get turned in? What's going to happen next? This isn't how I had it planned. This isn't what I wanted to happen. God, you weren't supposed to do it this way. You were supposed to do it another way. You were supposed to make this easier. Why has it become so hard? I have to live in this tension. And you live in that almost every day. And so, to get ready for Easter Sunday, I invite you to live in the tension of a God bigger than you can understand, who's better than you know, who has greater purposes than you can imagine, but his good is not always defined by your good, and you don't always understand what he's doing. And sometimes God doesn't do it the way you want him to. And there's a tension that he invites us to live in as his children. A tension between our expectations and what he is doing, our timetable and his timetable, our plans and his plans. And, and in this story of redemption, it's not surprising that God would write a chapter of tension, of disciples forced to sit. In the unknown, forced to wonder, forced to to reflect, to question. The disciples were afraid. They were nervous, were tired. All their hopes are now put in a tomb. Is it true? What was he saying? Have we been fools? You ever think that way? You ever wonder? Is any of this, what if it's untrue? What if... I think as you get ready for a great celebration Sunday, understand that God invites you to live in a fallen world that will often be filled with paradox and tension. And the reason that he tells his story this way is he knows that it's gonna be that way for you at times and he wants you to hear the story so that you can trust that you can trust when you're in those moments of tension. And so I want you to, tonight's service, we're not going to end it with a happy song and a benediction and a, we're going to end it with tension. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to say the Lord's Prayer with me. And then I'm going to just ask you to quietly walk out of the service. And reflect in the next two days. Where are your doubts? What what's your tension? What makes you thirsty? What makes you cry out for justice? What makes you nervous about your struggles? Your problems? And, and live in the tension of knowing that you know that it's true he is a good god and knowing that sometimes in the on this side of heaven we're invited to live in tension paradox it's true that he is good and he is your only hope and it is true that you live in a fallen world that often makes you question and wonder. But part of the moral of this story is a God who would go through all of this to redeem creation back to himself and to be able to call you his sons and daughters is a God that you can trust in tension. You can trust when you're scared. You can trust when you're sorrowful. Church, if you'd stand with me. We're gonna end our time by saying the Lord's Prayer together. And then if you would, just quietly go home and reflect on what our great God has done and the tension that he invites you to live in and the hope that he ultimately gives. Jesus had his disciples together, and he taught them to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debt, as we forgive our debtors.